in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. All right, first point. When you are outside of Christ, you are dead. What do you think about when you hear the word dead? I think no escape, permanent. I was looking to see what the Bible has to say about the word dead, and I found Luke chapter 15. as a parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the prodigal son. In verse 24, the father of the prodigal son says this, For this, my son was dead. He was lost. When Jesus talks about us being dead in our trespasses and sins, he uses the word lost. Since we don't have a real feeling of what it feels like to be dead, since all of us are here and breathing, Jesus gives us a feeling that we understand. By raise of hands, how many of us have felt lost or have lost something ourselves? Yeah, we know this feeling, okay? When I was in Boy Scouts, uh, we went to a, a trip in the Badlands, and I was the senior patrol leader at the time, and our uh, scout leader decided that it would be a good idea to give me the map and just say, we want to get here by the end of the day, uh, here you go. And so I was, you know, I was like, I've seen this thing, I've seen all the dunes and everything else, that I'm like, I could do this, I'm a map guy, I love maps, you can ask my wife, I like, I like maps. So... I think, I think we're going down the right passage, right? But the, but the dune on the left and the dune on the right are, are encroaching our, our path. And I'm like, this doesn't look like the map. And as we keep going, I'm like, oh, there's got to be the way. So as we keep going, it keeps getting narrower and narrower and narrower until we can't go any farther. I'm like, well, that's not the right way to go. I am lost. It's not a good feeling. How many of us hate that feeling of being lost or having lost something? I know, right? Now imagine that feeling extending for years. Having that feeling always on our mind and not going away. Now compound that by a billion and you can start to see what it means to be dead outside of Christ. Point two. When you are outside of Christ, you are following the world. I'm going to read 1 through 2a again. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Following in the course of this world is not a good thing. The course is not right. We live in a selfish world. Do what is best for you. Live the American dream. Be successful so you can buy what you want and be happy. I ask you, do new possessions bring you happiness? If you said no, you would be lying. I know, I know. I was waiting for it. You would be lying. They do bring happiness, but only for a little while. I know, I got you. What we all want is happiness that lasts. And the world can't give us that. We are asking something from the world that it cannot deliver. And do these things bring us closer to Christ or farther away? I would argue that most take us farther away. Point three. When you are outside of Christ, you are following Satan. Read verse two. We're dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. 
The prince of power of the air is Satan. In John 10.10, the Bible describes Satan as a thief and says the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Do you want to follow Satan? Do you want to follow a thief? Remember, if you're following someone, you start to become like them. Do you want to steal, kill, and destroy? Because if you're outside of Christ, that is exactly what you are doing. You start by stealing from yourself, killing yourself, destroying yourself. And once Satan has a foothold on you, he starts moving outward, and you start stealing and killing and destroying the lives of those that are closest to you. When I was lost in the Badlands, was I the only one that was lost? No, I brought my whole entire troop with me. That was not a good feeling. Think about it. Do you want to destroy the lives of those that you hold most dear? Do you want to draw them farther from Christ who can save them? Point four. When you are outside of Christ, you are under God's wrath. Verse three says, among whom we all once lived, the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So many times we have been seeing what we are in Christ, but here it shows the other side. Here we are in the passions of our flesh. A couple of weeks ago, Dave gave a nice illustration of saying that if we are in Christ, We are in a Christ bubble. We are surrounded by Christ. Here you can think of it the same way, except this time we are in the passions of our flesh. And our flesh is surrounding us. I don't know about you, but when I picture our flesh surrounding us, that is utterly disgusting. Now I want to be clear on what it's saying here. When it says passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body... The word translated flesh and body are the same Greek word. So you can insert flesh into both of these places. Also, when many of us hear desires of the body or flesh, we think sexual desires, or at least I do. I want to tell you that Paul means so much more here. He means, yes, sexual, sexual appetites, yes, but also anger, envy, rage, dissensions, gluttony, selfish ambition, and on and on. As a theologian I read put it, when you read flesh, think humanity in its sinfulness and rebellion against God. If you think that the wrath of God will not eternally punish all of those that do not turn from these desires of the flesh, you need to read the Bible and speak to someone who understands the Bible. Point five. When you are outside of Christ, you are children of wrath. Verse 3 again. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. We were by nature. This speaks to original sin through Adam. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore... Just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. We all are 
or were children of wrath because of original sin. As in, we are under God's wrath and will experience eternal punishment if we are outside of Christ. Everyone who is outside of Christ is dead, is following the world, is following Satan, is under God's wrath, is a child of wrath, and will experience the fullness of God's wrath on the day of judgment. Now, aren't you glad the text doesn't stop there? Christ came, and you are living in a post-Christ world. Before Christ, this is what we were. The sad part is that after Christ, this is what some of us still are. But it doesn't have to stay that way. Look at verse 4 and 5 with me. And before I read it, I want to make this clear. This whole second half, verses 4 through 7, explains what you are if you are born again. If you are not born again, I encourage you to see how amazing this is and to recognize that this is a trade-up from a life outside of Christ. Verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. But God. Isn't that a beautiful transition? It has been really heavy up to here, but that isn't the whole story. But God. And if you look forward with me to see where that connects in the passage, you can see it reads, But God made us alive together with Christ. Amen? So that brings me to my first point at the bottom. When you are in Christ, you are alive. It says in verse 1 that we were dead. You are no longer dead if you are in Christ. You are alive. Think about this. You have a family member who dies. They're dead. Then someone comes and raises them from the dead. How would you treat this person who did this? What would you say to them? Would you believe your eyes or continue to doubt? This is not impossible. Nothing is impossible with Christ. And if you are in Christ, this has happened to you. And you have experienced it. If not, become alive today. Colossians 2.13 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Who made us alive? Is it anything that we have done? No. This is only possible through Christ. Continuing to Colossians 2.14. Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. There are a couple things I want to note here. First, he has forgiven all. There is nothing outside the realm of all. There is, if you are holding on to something and saying that God can't forgive you, Paul is telling you to listen to the Disney movie Frozen and let it go. <laughs> Lay it at the feet of Jesus. You will be forgiven by our God who forgives all. So why does God cancel our debt? Is it because something we have done? No. It is because God loves us. Going back to the prodigal son in Luke 15, 24, the son was dead 
and lost. Now the son is alive and found. The son is only alive and found because his father loves him. And the great news is that our father loves us, not because we are lovely, but because God is love. Last thing on this point, in John 14, 19, Jesus says, Because I live, you also will live. We are made alive in Christ because Christ is alive. Point two. When you are in Christ, you are in relationship with Christ. Four and five again. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. We are made alive together with Christ. This is relational. When we were outside of Christ, we were in relationship with the world, but that is no longer the case if you are in Christ. Ephesians 4, through 24 says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. As in, we need to put off our former manner of life, which again is death, is our relationship with the world. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. We need to put on our new relationship with Christ. And what does that relationship look like? Well, Ephesians 5.8 says, For at one time you were in darkness, you were dead, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. This is a command. If we are in relationship with Christ, we need to walk as children of light. If you picture a child of light, what do you see? Do you see someone who is obvious or someone that blends into the crowd? Too many of us blend into the crowd. This comes down to fear of man and not trusting in the Lord. God says in Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Mm-hmm. My wife memorized this verse and repeated it over and over when we were in the delivery room. The Lord strengthened her and took her fear away for her 26 hours of labor and two and a half hours of pushing. <sighs> I was kind of afraid. <laughs> Just think about how bold and strong we will all be if we repeat this to ourselves throughout the day. This strength only comes through relationship with Christ. Point three, when you are in Christ, you are seated in the heavenly realms. Look at verse five and six. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Outside of Christ, we were following Satan and we're a part of his kingdom. Now we have been raised, have been seated with Christ, and are a part of his kingdom. I find it fascinating that we have already been raised and seated 
in the heavenly realms if we are in Christ. What God did for Christ, he did at the same time for all believers. Ephesians 1.20 says, He, God, raised him, Christ, from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Christ is at the right hand, and we are seated with him. How do we deserve that? We don't deserve that. We don't deserve anything except eternal punishment in hell. But what is great is that we are not powerless against the fury of hell if we are in Christ. By being seated with Christ, we are raised and have a position of superiority and authority over evil powers. So fight with this knowledge. As a reminder, as long or we long to be seated in the heavenly realms, but we can never get there. It has to be given. But it is given to us by God. And since we have already been seated in the heavenly realms, our names are in the book of life. Do you have assurance that you are saved? Because this speaks to assurance. If you have questions about assurance, ask me or Dave or Seth or any of the elders or a small group leader we can help answer your questions. Again, all of this is possible because of Christ. Point four. When you are in Christ, you are under God's mercy, love, grace, and kindness. If you are in Christ, you are no longer under God's wrath because God, or Christ, bore God's wrath for us when he died on the cross. Everything that each one of us should have experienced for eternity, Christ took and bore it on the cross. Dave explained it to me very well and said, Christ is like a lightning rod. A lightning rod protects everything that's in a building and experiences the full force of that lightning strike. If we are in that building, if we are in Christ, Christ takes the full force of the lightning, will take the full force of God's wrath and keep us safe. Now focus on these four words, mercy, love, grace, and kindness, as I read through verses 4 through 7 again. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love for which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace, in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The first thing I notice is that it says rich in mercy and immeasurable riches of his grace. So what does it mean to be rich? It means God has plenty for all. But unlike people on earth who are rich, God can never become poor. He doesn't just have plenty for all. He has more than enough mercy and grace. By grace, we are getting something that we don't deserve, as I spoke to earlier. I won't speak on any more of grace, as that will be the focus of Dave's sermon next week, and I don't want to steal his thunder. Next is love. Because of God's love, he made us alive in Christ because we were dead. Romans 5, 6 through 11 says it perfectly. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for the dead. 
For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God, which we were under before. For it... For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. It is just amazing. When we were dead, we were enemies. We were lost. And that is when Christ saved us and reconciled us. God obviously has love for the lost, and we should too. He did something to save the lost. Will you? Kindness. I found a few really good things on God's kindness. I mean, it's not surprising. I hadn't studied or thought about God's kindness before, but this is what I found. In Romans 2.4, it says... Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness? Again, there's riches. And forbearance and patience. Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God's kindness leads us to repentance. And where do we see God's kindness? Titus 3, 4 through 5a says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared... He saved us. The kindness of God is shown through saving us. The greatest kindness that can ever be shown is to be born again. A theologian I read said, The goodness or kindness of God in converting and saving sinners is an encouragement to others. That brings us full circle. Because we see God's kindness by saving sinners... And that is an encouragement for us that should lead us to repentance. Point five. When you are in Christ, you are obedient children. It does not say this directly in this passage, but I need a point to balance children of wrath. And so I found 1 Peter 1, 14 through 15, which says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, to death. But as he who has called you to be or as but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. This is the complete opposite of children of wrath. We are called to be holy. Galatians 5:16 through 17 says it this way, "But I say walk in the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Be made alive with Christ, fight against the desires of the flesh, and give into the desires of the spirit. You can give into something, and that is the Holy Spirit. Be filled with something that is good for you. Okay, now that I've laid everything out, so what? What is our role? For those of you that know you are living outside of Christ, 
I call you to take a step toward Christ. Seek, ask questions of our pastors and elders that have been plaguing your mind. Find answers. I will tell you that being made alive in Christ is a lifelong feeling that you can't get from anything else here on earth. For those of you that think you are saved but are unsure of assurance, ask questions of yourself. See if your life reflects God's glory. Nothing destroys the church more than false conversions. Test yourself and find assurance. And for those of you that are in Christ and have assurance, live out what it means to be alive in Christ daily. Put on the full armor of God and prepare for battle. Fight over lost souls. Pray for your list of five and be holy as Christ is holy. And now there is only one more thing to say. Nothing is more final than death except being made alive in Christ. Remember, there is nothing without Christ and everything with Christ. Amen.